You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast Beer Breaks. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beer Breaks. I am your host, Eric Williams. And in this episode, we are wrapping up my little project of getting caught up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe with a discussion of Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Here to help me on this little journey is the man you know from the power principle, my good friend and comic lover, Mr. New Mutant himself, Alan White. And the crowd goes wild! (laughs) That's right. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And we should also mention that we are sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast and, frankly, several other podcasts, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is, again, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, written by Sean Howe and narrated by Stephen Hoy. This audiobook is just shy of 19 hours long, and it would typically cost you $42.20 American cents. <laughs> but if you use our discount code, it can be yours for free. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash plain label. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash plain label for your free audiobook. Have you read uh, The Untold Story? Nope. Oh, Alan. Well, that's because that's nonfiction, right? It is nonfiction, yes, sir. Man, I ain't got no time for no nonfiction. <laughs> you gotta give me the <laughs> you gotta give me the fiction stuff if you, you want. You gotta give me <laughs> men in tights and capes flying around and shooting people with lasers. I'm not trying to hear no real life story. I don't want to hear about what Stanley was really like. No, definitely not. <laughs> you don't want to crush any dreams of uh, no, the man that created the illusion. this. That's I'm right. here for I am here for the illusion. I didn't go, I didn't pick up a Fantastic Four comic book off the spinner rack just so I could see all the knots and wrinkles in Stan's neck. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I have read the book. Um, it's good. It it comes off at times a little gossipy, mm-hmm. a little like, well, he didn't like him. It's like, well, it's a company. People aren't going to like people. Like, big deal. <laughs> you know, but, but it, it was, it's an interesting read. It's an entertaining read. It like, it goes by really, really quickly. Uh, so if people are interested in that and they are interested in nonfiction, they could check that out right over there. Get it. So let's talk about some, uh, some alcoholic beverages. So both of us, <laughs> both of us went on a run today. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. You ran. I ran. We ran. Yeah. We ran. Uh, and so in my post run, I was a sweaty hot mess <laughs> and I was, uh, I was salty and not upset salty. And was it encrusted on your, uh, where you were sweating? It was just I, kind of if around was, your wrists and. Yeah. If I was, uh, if I would have been out there longer, it would have been. I definitely know that when I came home, the cat was like trying to clean me up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so in order to what I'm getting to is in in order to replace all of that sodium, all of that Gator- salt. Gatorade. No, not Gatorade. I'm having uh I had this is my second actually. I'm having some Bloody Marys this <laughs> afternoon. So the old V8 Bloody Mary original like the most processed and bad for you <laughs> version that could ever be. 
Uh, that's <laughs> what I'm having, but it's, uh, it's, so it's V8 Bloody Mary mix and it is, uh, with a little Svedka vodka. Mm, nom, 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 nom. Yeah. It's good and super salty and my wife doesn't like this brand, so I get a drink. All of the mix. All of it. Yeah. Drink it all. So what are you having? Well, like I don't like nonfiction, like I like fiction <laughs> and, and fantasy. Yes. I, I don't like my drinks to be too hard or too, too bitter or too salty. So let me tell me if you could hear this. Can you hear that going I, in there? Yeah, I can hear that. That is my amaretto sour going pouring <laughs> into my, into my lemonade. I love the consistency. That's all I do. Baby Serono. Count on me. <laughs> I love it. That is good. Nice and sweet. Yeah, it is, that is really, that is a very sweet drink. Ah, so sweet. It's refreshing after a long run, right? <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and kick off our discussion. Getting me all caught up just, uh, just ahead of Thor Ragnarok. Right. You better catch up. I am now caught up, but yes. so our first film is from 2016 and it is Doctor Strange. Stephen Strange. Might I offer you some advice? Forget everything that you think you know. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You've spent your life trying to widen it. Your work saved the lives of thousands. What if I told you that reality is one of many? I don't believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. You wonder what I see in your future? Possibility. Why are you doing this? There are other ways to save lives. So much you don't know. And the IMDb plot synopsis, which was this was actually written by Marvel themselves as a corporation, and it goes like this. <laughs> and it does say Marvel. <laughs> Marvel's Doctor Strange follows the story of the talented neurosurgeon Doctor Stephen Strange, who, after a tragic car accident, must put ego aside and learn the secrets of a hidden world of mysticism and alternate dimensions. Based in New York City's Greenwich Village. Doctor Strange must, must act as an inter intermediary between the real world and what lies beyond, utilizing a vast array of metaphysical abilities and artifacts to protect the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That has got really high 
vocabulary score on that one. <laughs> I wonder which person in Marvel wrote it. Yeah, I know. That's what I want to know. Did uh, Ike Perlmutter himself? I doubt it. I bet it's some intern that had to write, you know. He's getting At 3 paid o'clock like, in the morning. He's getting paid like 8 bucks an hour or whatever. If at all. That's right. So, Doctor Strange. So this, um, as we, uh, as everyone hopefully figured out by now, this is a first watch for me for both of these. So this is brand new stuff. So tell me, did you go see this in the theater as well as you have with our first set of discussions? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So tell me about it. What did you think? Mm, there's not a time where I go to a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie and not enjoy myself mm. because I'm going for one specific reason, and that is to be showered with the sights and sounds of uh, all this two-dimensional stuff that I've been reading all these years. And uh, I'm going to say 3D, but I don't I don't go to the 3D showings. I just mean in in that kind of full cinematic. Um, treatment. I want to see real people looking like these characters, acting like these characters, and doing the things that these characters have been doing. Mm. And when they do that, job done. And that's it. Well, there's nuances. We're going to get into those nuances. Sure. But just the cinematic experience for me is always a win. Okay. Well, tell me about uh, tell me about Doctor Strange as a character. Then was that somebody that you have read a lot of? Like, is that a is that a book that you collected growing up? No. Well, no. Okay. But it it is a book that I would buy according to um, an artist that was on it. For mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. Um, like when Paul Smith was on it, I loved I love his work. So and when Paul he was Smith doing was the man. Yeah, when he was doing it, I was buying it. Uh, so I, I'd fall out, I'd fade out away from it very easily because I'm a child. What can I tell you? <laughs> but um, always the character I've been aware of because he dips in and out of books that I that I read, and I get curious about what's going on in his storyline. So I might pick it up here or there. And then now the Jason, I mean, well, not now because I'm six months behind because I'm reading it on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm all into Marvel Unlimited and I'm reading the Jason Aaron um, treatment of it, mm-hmm. I'm all in. Okay. So, like I said, this is a first watch for me for the film and for the character. The character is one that I've really never had a lot of interest in. Uh-huh. And I haven't been... Uh, it's weird because I haven't been disinterested in it. And I always knew like of, I, I of course knew of Dr. Strange and knew of Dormammu and, and Wong and the ancient one and all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and I knew of, you know, but it's not like I'm not a, a I'm not a, uh, Zach Krusey type where I'm all over the Ditko and, you know, track down he- all of the essential Dr. Strange stuff or anything like that. And make a pilgrimage to New York City. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I need to actually talk to him about that. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you yeah, do. We've got a list. We've got a, we've got a whole uh, thing set up. We just need to find the time to start recording on it. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. There's been random issues that I've got here and there. Uh, it was when I was just starting out. Uh, collecting like in the sort of mid, uh, the early to mid eighties. And so 
I would just pick up a random issue and I, I don't know if there was any rhyme or reason behind it besides liking the cover or something. Mm-hmm. And I just was never really gripped by it. And then, uh, of course I read it when Dr. Strange was a main guy in Bendis's Avengers. Oh, um, yeah. and we had the whole brother voodoo, not really getting much of a chance for his own series stuff with Rick Remender writing that. And- uh, and, oh, the tears, uh, the frust- <laughs> tears of frustration. Mm-hmm. And, and so that sort of thing I was always aware of. So I'm just kind of like peripherally aware of the character. Yes. And I know that, you know, some of the sayings and the eye of Agamotto and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I'm steeped in this or, um, as well versed in it compared to like a Thor or a Spider-Man or an X-Men or something like that. That being said, mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. heard that this was coming out and mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be Dr. Strange, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. perfect. I was like, oh, you, you were in? I was you in. Just... All right. Yeah. I was in all the way because I knew that I knew him from Sherlock. Sherlock. And I was like, okay, well, he plays kind of an ass in that. <laughs> and so I was like, this will translate because I, I did like the, I, I do like the idea that not everyone is from, you know, the teens up to like their mid thirties and white and super smart and a nice guy. <laughs> right? Which is like most of the Marvel universe. Cut out of the hero's cloth. <laughs> yeah. And so Lantern I was like, jaw. <laughs> right. And so I liked that. I was like, okay, so he's kind of an arrogant ass. I was like, I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> and so I, I like that idea. And then seeing him on screen, I was like, ooh, wow, they're really pushing the fact that he is an ass. <laughs> like, just, just a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, he is. Like he's a real <laughs> jerk off. And I kind of liked the fact that they went with a different, Mm, I guess it's a little bit of a different tone than what than the way that Tony Stark can be an ass. Well, yes, and I guess that must have been their challenge, right? To to right. try to differentiate Stephen Strange from Tony Stark, mm-hmm. because they're both rich guys that that give it get that at one point get it all taken away from them, and they have the sort of wisecracking sort of Marvel thing. Right, yeah. where all of their with, characters have the little quips. With mustaches. <laughs> with mustaches, yeah. And, yes. and so I'm like, huh. Uh, so those are the, those are the only parts when he was being funny until we get to the, the bit toward the end of the film with Wong where he actually laughs. Yes. And then he kind of nods and is like, oh yeah, all right. Uh, I mean, until, I am funny. Yeah, until we got to that point, I was like, oh, can't he just be a dick? Like, can't he just, <laughs> You know, does he have to try to be funny too? But I did kind of like that he wasn't, didn't have the the greatest sense of humor. And Lord knows I know plenty of people that think that they're really funny and then they're not. No, no, <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah. So that was, that's kind of my take on that, on the main character. And I think the film is, is, you know, just like any other origin film, it's pretty heavily reliant upon a, a main character, right? Yeah, but I think what sometimes you might not get, Eric, according to my many listenings of your wonderful podcast, mm-hmm. is that sometimes American audiences kind of need to like 
the main character yeah, yeah. at times. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I know you like I know you like it when the movie bends to the left and just throws all the view- viewers down a down a hole and leaves them despairing at the bottom of this dry well. <laughs> yes. But sir, that is very true. Actually, I wish sir. I wish I wish Mads Mikkelsen was the main character of this movie. Sir, <laughs> sir. Sometimes it's it's kind of nice to leave a movie theater feeling good. It it's okay. True. It's you know, okay. And this is why this is why I wanted to make sure that you and I were the two that were doing this discussion, so that it was an uplifting discussion, and it wasn't a here's what they should have done to make it more dour. <laughs> So I know your favorite scene already was the car crash, clearly. <laughs> you know, and here – okay, so here's here's the situation that we watched this. We This has been on Netflix for a while, and I watched this with the little one who we talked quite a bit about. Ooh, intense. Yeah, so we talked a lot about last episode about how she was the reason that I was won over uh, for Ant-Man. And that really helped me a lot by watching the movie with her there. Mm-hmm. And so this time around, we watched it and, you know, we looked and we had her, my wife and I decided that she could watch this one, but we weren't going to have her watch Guardians Volume 2. Hmm. And so, Interesting choice. Yeah. And so I think the thing, and we'll get to why on Volume 2, but, um, yes. so, so the car crash happens. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why are his hands all messed up? I was like, no, didn't you see like his hand gets crushed? Like he's flipping all through the, through the road. He should be dead. And she just goes, oh, <laughs> and it was like, and she, I think was just turned off by him. Ah, uh, see, they had to, somebody had to laugh at his joke before the movie was over or right. else. And so at that point, she doesn't really, you know, she's just kind of like, oh, whatever. He kind of, that's what he gets. And I'm like, oh, you know, and there's like the single tear from my eye going, oh, look at what I've wrought. Like, look (laughs) at this little cynical little movie movie watcher already. Um, But so (laughs) we're going to have to go and rescue that child. Yeah, really. And so she didn't uh, she didn't really overly care too much for the main character. But I watched the film and my overall impression that it is taking me too long to get to was (laughs) was I really enjoyed the movie. I thought the the visuals were amazing, right? Which is clearly where all the where a lot of the money went to, mm-hmm. is to make this look uh, just absolutely ridiculous at times, like how crazy the special effects were. Mm. Um, but I felt like it was a little heartless, which is so strange coming from me. Uh, like it, it felt a little surfacey and a little like uh, I don't know, like why do I care about him? Mm-hmm. So that was that was my only struggle. I think out of out of five, I gave it a three and a half. So um, you and the, you and the little one didn't care too much about the major character. Yeah, we we liked him okay, but there wasn't. I I think that you know they clearly have Rachel McAdams in there to try to yes. ground him and to try to do that, but with their relationship being so argumentative again because he's a jerk. <laughs> I was still a little bit like, well, he, no, he doesn't deserve her. You know, he doesn't deserve Rachel McAdams. Um, 
I don't know that anyone does deserve Rachel McAdams. I said that. <laughs> well, I I actually kept referring to her <laughs> in my notes as Doctor Mean Girl. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I can't I can't forget. See, I never saw the movie, but every time every time somebody uses a Mean Girl quote, if that's her, that's the movie, right? Mean oh, Girl. Oh yeah, that's that's it. Sure, yeah. Her face pops up with blonde hair, and yeah. I'm like, "Well, I don't know how she's going to ever escape that role." Yeah, she's she's really mean in that. She's also very mean in uh, Midnight in Paris, the Woody Allen film, uh, where it that's a little time travely and about famous writers and that kind of thing. And she's really mean, but looks amazing in that movie. So. <laughs> but I appreciate exactly what you said: is that Rachel McAdams' role was to humanize or at least try to somehow get a – just get some kind of feeling for the main character through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and through think, hers. Yeah, I think it worked for the most part. No? Okay, so you enjoyed yourself at the movie-going experience, of course. What did you, yes. what did you think when you t- took another look at this one? Then I started to see some of the tropes. Mm-hmm. In the second viewing, it was only my second viewing. Oddly enough, I love these movies so much, but I but and they go they seem to just make such an impression. That I don't really need to see it more than one time. Mm. And when I so when I do finally see them more than once, if if ever, then I start to notice maybe some of the some of the um, some of the cracks in the foundation. Mm-hmm. But one one thing I always do, and this is. Completely unique to me, probably. I'm the only person that ever does this. Is if they shoot it in New York City, buddy. <laughs> yes. I am figuring out where the hell it's happening at. Where, on what block, on what avenue exactly is this happening? I just seem to need to know that. Mm-hmm. So I get caught up in those details. But, um, this, yeah, my second viewing, I'm looking at, okay, what did, what did they mean to do here? What story element are they, um, are they, are they highlighting in the, in this act in order to bring it back in the next act or the third act? I'm starting to break it down. Mm-hmm. So, so it wasn't, it was less of a sensory, um, no, no, I, I'm lying. I still enjoyed. I still enjoyed a lot of the visuals. I, <laughs> I still enjoy. Like I enjoyed the dark dimension yes. with the look of the Ditko esque big spikes and balls and and just all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that color. Yeah. No, I I think I I I enjoyed it the second time around too. What's What's crazy about um you know we have the whole training sequence and him. Uh, when he first gets hit by the ancient one, and we'll talk about that and the casting and that here in just a second, but he gets hit in the astral plane, and I really liked the way that that was projected because mm. between Doctor Strange and then Professor X and all that, you get a lot of astral projections in the comics, you know, yes. through, in the in the Marvel universe. And so I was like, oh, okay, I kind of like how that worked. I liked the you know j- they just turned that opacity down just a touch. You know, and, and it's just a little lighter and they can still sort of communicate. And I just kind of liked the way that they played around with that when they have that, um, when they have the battle later when he's mm-hmm. in the astral form. And I, I really kind of enjoyed that bit. Um, mm-hmm. but it's at that, at that sort of beginning stage when he first gets in there and he first kind of 
is opened up to the other dimensions and other worlds and all that sort of thing. And one moment where he looks down and he sees his hand, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then his fingers all are also little wrists and hands. Oh yeah. That is, that is a direct Photoshop like 101 that I teach my kids in school is, oh, how, yeah? to, is how to do that. And I'm like, oh my god, that is so basic. Like that took them like no time at all. <laughs> I was like, that's so easy to do. And so some of this other stuff, I'm like, holy shit, like that is really hard to do. And I'm like, what is this hand with the fingers also being hands thing? So I don't, I don't know. know. That, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> you, you have to teach me now. Uh, that was. I mean, it's just, it's just like a, it's just, it's not really that hard, really. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> there's there's tons of YouTube videos where you could learn it in like five minutes. Mm. So, but that was something that it was interesting. I think my favorite of those dimension things was the the eyeball that sort of turns into a texture that he falls into the the iris of the eye and oh, and he tries to cling on to the tries side to of hang it. on. Yeah, that one I I was really impressed with. I thought that, that was really good. So creepy. Yeah, it's like now that I'm teaching that sort of stuff, I'm I feel like I'm looking at it more. Mm-hmm. Just to see, because I have to critique it all day. Mm. You know, when the kids turn it in, I'm like, oh, that one doesn't look good. And, oh, this is this looks nice. So what is art? Oh well, it's it's a media productions class, so we do a lot of Photoshop and After Effects. So a lot of special effects stuff. Shoot, I want to be in school now. <laughs> we yeah. never had that when I was in school. Well, we oh, didn't yeah. have Photoshop when I was in school. Well, we well, didn't we have didn't. it when I was there either. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't have it in in this in this school until I started just doing it. Mm. So oh. it's a it's a whole lot of me looking up how to do one specific thing and then teaching them how to do that one specific thing. So I hear you. I'm not super well versed in it, but I can I can replicate like nobody's business. You know? It sounds like how you, how you, how a teacher teaches. That's right. You give me the, you give me the step by step. I can tell you that and then I can figure it out after like the fifth person has the same question. I can get other things figured out. So, so anyway, so that's the, that's the sort of visuals. And of course we have the inception like bending of the city and, yes. and all of that kind of thing. And we have the, the really complex seeming, uh, battle sequences with, Tilda Swinton as the ancient one and her fighting people from all over the place, not only at that very opening scene, but later on when, uh, when Mordo, when Chuyatel Ejiofor is having his problems with the morality of what she's doing mm-hmm. and that whole thing. Like, I thought that the, the fighting was really good. I, I kind of wish that, and this is a real tiny thing, but I wish that Mads Mickelson, who played, uh, Cassilius or however you say that, I wish that he would have had something other than that, that like ghosty ice lightning bolt looking deal that he used oh, to, to fight stab. with. Yeah, I wished he would have had something a little cooler looking than that. Did it ever split in half? Uh, and he and he kind of had it double prong kind of in each hand kind of fighting. Yeah, I guess he might have. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember that either. But I know that uh, I just I kind of liked the way that it was choreographed. I guess and. And that's, uh, you know, it's not, not that every superhero needs to be a, like a black belt Jason Bourne type of a fighter, mm. but I did like that they gave, uh, Cumberbatch as Dr. Strange some time where it showed him training and showed him working with Wong and, and with Mordo and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did like well, that. Well, the, 
that fight that you that you just mentioned with um, the ancient one and Caecilius's people in the beginning, mm-hmm. where Caecilius breaks into the this mystic joint, steals a page or two, and then gets chased by the ancient one, and then you get all that inception and stuff. Mm-hmm. There was one of those details that I met that I that I noticed in the second viewing that I didn't remember in the first viewing that, you know, you, you drop, um, you drop some dialogue and you make it count for a, a later act. And so he called her hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the very few things that he had to say in, in the entire movie, yeah, really <laughs> calling her a hypocrite. And so I knew after I, since, since I had already seen the movie, I realized why he called her a hypocrite in the beginning of the movie so that that would pay off later when the, when the reveal came from, you know, Mordo's whole, um, being insulted by, by what she was really up to or what she really drew her power from. Right. So those kind of story details, I, I appreciate better during the second viewing. Sure. Now I have really basic questions for you now. Oh, let me give me give me all of the basic questions. <laughs> okay. So in in the book, in the story that I'm I feel like I'm comfortable with or familiar with, it was strange and Wong was his like assistant, right? Early on. Yes. And, and then isn't Mordo isn't that one of his main villains? Yes. Okay, and so we're anticipating in the a sequel to where those two are going to have to square off. Yes, but also in the book, um, Strange meets Mordo the same way that Strange in this movie met Mordo at okay. the at this at this place where the, all this training happens, where Strange goes to get this kind of enlightenment and tries to get his hands addressed. Okay. Mordo was there, and I I think Mordo had more of his training. Also, did a lot of his did a lot of Strange's training too. But when Strange gets ascendant in his power and becomes that, um, you know, a qualifier for the Sorcerer Supreme, that's when Mordo kind of left the rails because, you know, Mordo wasn't there just to drink tea. <laughs> Mordo was there to get get hold of that uh, title and that power. And then here comes Mr. Strange has decided, oh, I'm actually the golden child here. Thank you very much for mm-hmm. holding my place. Now for me to go with Dai Bagamoto and I'm gone. Excuse me, I'm the white actor. So, <laughs> right. But Mordo, Mordo was also a white in, guy yeah, in right, the comics. So. Right. <laughs> it's just one white guy beating on another white guy. Yeah, and here, of course, the, you know, in some of the things like, okay, we can go ahead and talk about the whitewashing of uh, one of the characters, but so it's it's just, I, I mean, do we always have to have the white guy is the protagonist and then his, either his little buddy is either <laughs> a person of color or a female, right? I hear you. And then we have, so then we have Tilda Swinton, who I love Tilda Swinton, right? Like, my, that's one of my wife's favorite actresses ever is, yes. is Tilda Swinton. But for what she's asked to do, is anyone coming to the movie and it's going to be like, oh, Tilda Swinton's playing the ancient one? Now I'll go see it. Because before <laughs> I wasn't going to, but now I will. Or is this a like she's owed a certain amount of of certain amount of pictures with her with her contract? Because you know how they have contracts and it's like, oh, you have to have 
like four pictures in the span of two years. And so they go but, to her first and ask if she's interested. But with Marvel Studios? Well, I mean, that's just a lot of the way that Hollywood used to work. Back um, in the day. Back in the day. But I don't know, you know, how much they do that now. Like, I know that whole thing about Chris Evans where he had signed, like, a 10-picture deal. Mm. And so they were going to use him for only certain, um, you know, they weren't going to use him for a little cameo because that would count against his 10 pictures and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but it just struck me as weird where you're, you have this, um, in the comics, a person of color again, an Asian person named the Ancient One, and it's mm. a white woman. It just struck me as weird. Yeah. Well, it, it has struck a lot of people as weird. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to really, I'm trying to really be fair in my own personal head mm-hmm. of thinking because I'm a person of color. And I mean, you know, the color. <laughs> I, I'm not of the shades. The, the, you're not a color. You're the color. I'm the color, baby. So, <laughs> so I, I want, I, I want my representation. I want my people um, considered. I don't want us to be always the sidekick, always this, always that. But then I have another piece of my mind that that nudges other stuff out of the way and it's like this is the character you've been reading for 40 years mm-hmm. now there's a movie you want to see that character that you've been reading on the screen that's what i want to see so when they made the fantastic four and johnny storm was a black guy right in the movie where you could fist power to getting that black dude as a major character on the screen i'm like i but i <sighs> And so cognitive dissonance because I, because I say, yes, represent us. Yes, do, do us right. But then when it comes to characters that have history as being a certain thing, I want to see that certain thing. So now mm. in, in what you're talking about, you had the, they had the opportunity to continue the, the, have an Asian person playing an Asian person, which is consistent in the character, in the comic books. But then what I, what I heard, was that they were concerned about the stereotypical wise old Asian person on a mountaintop somewhere. Oh, uh, okay. And they didn't want to disrespect Asian people by using a trope and that kind of stereotype because when it was written in the 60s, Marvel was rife with – with played and kind of politically incorrect stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the yellow, the yellow claw, for instance. Oh, right. Just look at any of the names of almost all black characters. Black Goliath. Got to be black something. And so I, so what I, what I came to understand, and I didn't go in depth in in looking for uh, the media for it because. You go on the internet and you look for controversy, you find plenty of it, and then people's voices, and this one's talking stupid, and this one's <laughs> talking, and I just don't have time to balance all that emotional mess. So right. I, I look for surface, give me some surface information, and then I'm good, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And what they, what, that's, that's what I gleaned from, from, uh, my cursory just dipping in and dipping out of why they cast her instead of an age, an Asian man, and, uh, um, 
And when I heard that, I was like, well, you know, I'm not Asian, so I don't know how it feels not to get um, one of my own to be in this role and what I would do with it if they did it. But Mm -hmm. it it helped me at least accept their decision better from my point of view. Okay. Okay. Well, the the only thing that uh, I guess troubles me about the whole thing is having – uh, Edgio for who I think is a fine actor who I know him best as, you know, being in, um, 12 years a slave, which I wouldn't watch. And now he's, I, I can't walk with that kind of anger. Yeah. And now he's playing, you know, the sidekick who's, it, it just seemed like it's just, it just strikes me as like, ugh, just a little yucky of watching this, this actor playing this role where he's this proud black man. And now he's, you know, this kind of, angry things aren't the way that he wants them to be so he's gonna break away and now he's gonna fight the white guy probably in the next picture and i'm just like oh man like really right but here's another thing i will give you for from from my perspective as well now there's a thing called the magical negro have you heard of it no No. (laughs) so it's a it's a trope the magical negro where there, where you, you do have the sidekick at times and you have the first one killed at times and you, you have a lot of tired stuff. But one of those other tired things is when the black guy winds up being the mystical, mm. wise, old, old, um, hermit or just the one you go to to get the movie central truth. Oh, like the woman in the matrix. Yes. Okay. So, and, and that's a, that's a trope. That, you know, if you can't, if, if they don't kill him right away, if he's not just a sidekick, then he or she is the wise one that just gives all the wisdom. Mm-hmm. And there are so many different dimensions of everyone that you don't have to just have a black person serve those specific roles. Mm-hmm. So, okay, he has it. So Mordo, okay, they cast him as a black guy. He is going to wind up being Dr. Strange's kind of helper through this struggle, but there were there were certain personality elements to him as well that I appreciated, such as he was angry at times. He didn't put up with some bullshit at different <laughs> times. Yes. And he when he when he found out that the ancient one kind of dabbled in stuff that she told everybody not to dabble in, he was insulted. He mm-hmm. was um indignant. He rebelled against the idea, and he's taking his power back. He's taking agency at that point. It's like, fuck being a sidekick now. Fuck being a disciple now. Fuck all of this. You lied to me. You told me this was going to be this way, and then you were dabbling in it yourself. You know what? I'm in it for me now. Okay. I think I'm doing me now. I think if I wasn't familiar with the name Mordo... And if his name was anything else and he was the sidekick that had that, I'd be like, oh, okay. But I feel like I'm bringing the baggage of having this name and feeling like in some sort of future movie that hasn't been made yet that he's going to end up being the the villain. And again, yes. And I'm good you with know? that because he does, cause the black people don't always have to just be sure. all the things that we've seen. A black guy can be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He can he can bring the pain and he can be evil and he can cause a lot of havoc and destruction and he could oppose the good guy. I it's, guess it's it's okay. Yeah, I guess it ultimately just falls into the execution of it, right? 
and, and we'll see how well that this potential movie that's already made in my mind how well it's uh, how well it's executed in that whole respect. Well, don't you? I'd like to believe that they cast him because they knew that he was going to be able to to do a villain's role really mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I can see that. And this is just kind of his origin. The whole movie has been his origin story. That's true. That is true. Well, speaking of villains, let's move over to uh, Cassilius, who was a character that I was unfamiliar with in general. With his crispy eyes. <laughs> yeah, with a, with an interesting choice for uh, his face. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who is is kind of like my my favorite sort of actor, to where he'll do really high-profile things, and then he'll do his real work, is what I like to call it, where he's, <sighs> he's doing... Um, He's doing major roles in films that nobody sees. Uh, so he's obviously been in Casino Royale with a one eye and in this, and he was in Rogue One. Uh, what I know him best for is, uh, he was in Valhalla Rising, which was a, a pod shot episode that, uh, Zach Krusey and I did, which was our first ever episode that him and I did. And I love that movie and he did not like it. And so that was, <laughs> so that was interesting. Uh, but what I know him for are things like After the Wedding and um, Open Hearts, which is a tremendous film, and these sort of foreign language movies that most people haven't seen or a lot of people haven't seen, uh, which are tremendous. And, my hand is up. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> and also uh, The Hunt, which is a movie that uh, came out in 2012, which is a really interesting look at uh, – um, he was, he was working at either a preschool or a kindergarten as a teacher. And this girl, uh, is all confused after seeing, um, pornography from her younger brother or her older brother. And this Ew. little girl, and this little girl who's in there goes to like kiss him. And so he, he's like, Whoa, that's not, that's not appropriate. And she makes up this whole story about him molesting her. And the town, of course, loses their minds and accuses him and goes on this, quote, hunt for him. And he hasn't done, he hasn't done anything and, and, uh, but he's, you know, being hunted. And that's a really interesting movie that I went to the, to the little art house movie theater and saw here in Lincoln. Um, so anyway, so he does a wide range of things. And also he was, of course, on Hannibal for a couple of years playing. Yeah, he was playing Dr. Lecter. Yes. Mm hmm. So I do enjoy him. I thought uh, he had absolutely nothing to do in this movie, though. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Again, why have it be him when you're not going to give him anything to do? I guess they they trusted the um, dramatic power of his sne- sneers and his uh, growls and his – I don't know. Uh, the Mr. Mr. Doctor part was funny. Where yeah. he's confused about what his name is, and um, and he's like, "It's Doctor Strange," and he goes, "Well, possibly." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that sort of thing. Like that was funny. He he is a guy that has a very good look to him as a villain, right? He looks like he's a bad guy mm, <laughs> when you see that, him. That's nice. I'd like to monetize that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and. uh uh, so I don't know. I think that it's interesting that he's when I heard that he was the big bad of like, oh, OK, well, that'll be that'll be interesting. It'll it'll be nice to see him kind of chew up some scenery, but he doesn't have anything to do at all. Like he doesn't really even have a big monologue. Right. He had he had his uh, 
his strange things are not as as they're not as tidy as you'd like them to be moment when mm-hmm. he was all bound up in those in those bands oh yeah those crazy uh those like shackles or whatever they were yeah yeah, I, I heard that they were supposed to be the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. Oh, okay. Because that's another one of those phrases that Strange uses in the comic books a lot. But that's they weren't right. red, so Crimson is red. I needed to see some red. <laughs> that's I true. didn't see any red. Yeah, it didn't look like anything. Nope. Um, so speaking of things that he says a lot, what did you think of the use of the eye, and what did you think of the cape, which became a character of its own in this film? <laughs> So I did have a problem with the eye. Okay. One is the eye is containing one of the MacGuffins of the overarching, um, the linking thing of all the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. which is the Infinity Stone. Right. It, it has an Infinity Stone in it. And there it is sitting on a platform in the library that everybody can go into. And just kind of trapes around it and, you know, no biggie. One of the most powerful things, but it's on display. Yeah. And it's sitting in the nexus of three um, portals to three different sanctum sanctorums around the world, which are the gateways. No, they they channel a protective band around the world to protect the entire world from incursions from other dimensions of evil things. Mm-hmm. And Caecilius's Ky- people are going to these different sanctums, sanctorums to destroy them, to take down these defense barriers so that the, so that Dormammu can come into the world un- unopposed. And you have an infinity stone sitting right in the middle of all of this. <laughs> and mm-hmm. nobody touches it except Stephen Strange. Mm-hmm. And he just picks it up. He just picks it up off the platform, puts it around his neck, and says, you know what? Let me play with this a little bit. I think that's a little irresponsible. That is a little irresponsible. It does strike to me a little bit of the issue that I had about the whole hero's journey of this film. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, he's hurt, but you don't see him really struggling that much once he's in the whole training process. You know, it, he, he like picks it up really quick. And then at one point he says, Oh, I have a photographic memory. I've had one. That's why I'm such a good doctor. I'm mm. like, well, that's just lazy then. Like you don't <laughs> have to do anything. You just have, you can just remember all of the stuff. Like that isn't, there's no, um, there's no pulling yourself up of that. There's no like, Oh, I can also be him. It's just, no, he's just really smart. Mm. And so, yeah. <laughs> That's, that that could be a little alienating for the audience. We can't do that. He yeah. can do that. Okay, he's special. We're not special. Right. So, I don't know. So, that was the thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, can't you just show – I mean, you, you show – you see him studying and I thought the – it was really – I really liked the fact and I wish they would have used it more where he's sleeping and but his astral form is reading. Mm, I was yeah. like, why don't you just make like 700 copies of that and just show him learning all of this stuff? Mm. You know, and they gave us the they gave us the ancient one stranding him on Mount Everest. Yes. And if he didn't learn how to use the ring, he would freeze to death in two minutes. That is so true. That that's was a, some struggling. That was another thing that I was kind of I don't I guess I get that from for the film and for the plot. But it's like, why the hell would they need this little brass knucks looking thing to? Yeah, no, yeah, no. 
<laughs> I didn't get that at all. Yeah, it's like, why can't they just do that because they know the spell? Right. No, I think I think they must have wanted it for that specific fight in the Sanctum Sanctorum mm-hmm. where he loses the ring and one of the bad guys must have snatched it off him when he threw him in a portal uh-huh. so that he couldn't get away conveniently from the fight. Like he cuz he was he his motivation was not I'm going to fight this evil for everybody. His motivation was I'm through this door by accident. I'm in this Sanctum Sanctorum by accident. It just happens to be in New York City. There's the guy who owns this place. Oops, he just got killed. That's a shame. Um, so that's wrong, but I'm not fighting. I don't want to fight this stuff at all. Now, so as soon as I can get out of here, I'm getting out of here, except whoops, I just lost my ring. Now I can't get out. Yeah. I mean, I, I it makes sense for a plot for that, I guess, but it just, like, why can't you just have... Mads Mickelson character have a spell that he can't break to where he that can't he can leave or something. Block, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's too much to ask from an audience that doesn't know the character at all. And spells? I don't know. I think I think it's a reasonable ask that they could just move, move the focus from this external piece of jewelry to more spells, actual spells. Because they explained they explained what spells are. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that was missing in um that I was looking forward to that didn't happen was the the verbiage. Like Oh yes, him give being me very words. loquacious. Yes. Yeah, and I want to hear those spells. I want to hear the rhyme. I want to see the I want the verses to flow <laughs> like they do on the page. Right. But we didn't get much of that at all or any. Yeah, cuz he just says, "Oh, this is the eye of Agamotto or whatever," and that's it. Yeah. So we just happened to have the time gem in it, and it was the MacGuffin that we needed to win the big battle in the end. Right. There was another spot where I think after he used it to play around with, he put it back. Mm-hmm. But later in the movie, he's wearing it, and I don't know, and I don't remember when he got it again. And I think they even scolded him a little bit for just for for, for trafficking with it, for messing with it. When he was, he was, when he, he first used it to demonstrate to us, the audience, that it manipulates time. Oh, right. Yeah, with the apple, yeah. Yeah. So then when they, when, um, the ancient one and Wong caught up, um, they were like, you know, put that back. Stop messing with stuff. <laughs> right. Now, Sit I will, down, I will say that with all of the special effects going on, the apple is the one that blew my daughter's mind. Mm. That was the one she was like, oh. And like stood up and sat up straight, you know, was like, whoa. All right. So that was the thing that where she was really engaged with that bit. Capture these little minds. And yeah, and she definitely thought the, the cape did everything that it was supposed to do for her because she just laughed and laughed when it was <laughs> wrapping its head around the dude and bashing it into the floor. And when he has the real superhero moment that you get a lot in our next film. Where he has that moment, or at least is trying to, by pulling the corners of the cape up, and then it's like brushing his face a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she thought that that was really funny. And, and so those were the things that they were very smart in having those in there, which made it to where she, uh, you know, still had her interest in the film. Yes. So that was good. What, uh, what did you think of the whole Dormammu and the, the time and all of that kind of stuff? 
I thought it was clever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was clever in my first viewing and then just watching how it broke down um, and seeing all the things pay off, like him playing with time in the beginning there. and the, I'm just saying I don't know how he got the amulet back again, the Eye of Agamotto back again. I, I, I missed if, – if it was in the scene – if it was if there was a scene dedicated to him re, re-obtaining the Eye of Agamotto, I missed it. Mm. But um, I appreciated that they – that they um, telegraphed the use of that, and I, when I in my first viewing, I honestly didn't know how they were going, how he was going to, how they were going to get out of that because the the last sanctum sanctorum in in um, I want to say Tokyo, it was, uh, was Hong it? Kong, Hong Kong. Forgive me, my Asian people. <laughs> I don't know stuff that. Um, in that town, it was already too late by the time that uh, him and, and, and Mordo arrived to, to save the day. It was already too late. Right. And with him turning back time to make it um, – to to get there before Caecilius blew up the joint and allowed the Dark Dimension to come in, that was easy to figure out. I knew – you know, you could, you could figure out that he's going to do something with that, but I didn't – I I had no anticipation how he was going to finally defeat Dormammu with that time trap thing and just continually sacrifice himself over and over and over again until Dormammu got tired of it. Yeah, and I did like the fact that they they did have him screaming when he was getting killed and that sort of thing mm-hmm. because it did it did at least have a little bit of okay he is suffering for the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I just got you tricked. So as soon as you're done with this, you know, it was, it was, it did seem like he was suffering a bit. Um, now, I don't know why Dormammu doesn't just, you know, can't, can he do something where he just cuts his arm off or something? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> killing him after the dozenth time of doing it, that's not working. So what about just, <laughs> Cutting off his arm where the whole uh, time thing seems to be coming from. Why don't you try that? <laughs> it, 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 see, it seems – well, if they when they squishes him flat <laughs> underneath a big boulder. Oh, right. It didn't do anything. Isn't that right. the same? That's yeah, true, isn't that the same effect? Yeah, because it completely blows him up a few times too, I guess, and it didn't do anything to him. Yeah. Huh. I mean the time loop just kept coming back. Yeah, I guess so. it could have been a thing where it was set and it just keeps going until he turns it off or whatever. Yes. Hmm. It has to be that. It has to be, Eric. Well, I'll tell you what else has to be. You have to believe. Here's what else has to be. In the second film, Rachel McAdams' character has to die. Oh! And I say that because otherwise they have to give us a reason to show some emotion or to have some sort of event happen that's not just about him. To get the okay. audience like to care about him, because uh, I feel like that's still the thing that we're missing. Is there's just not anything that that makes us care about this character? Because he's like, I mean, well, yeah, he's a selfish asshole. So what? Like, <laughs> you know, that's great that he's trying to. You know, it's great that he's trying to survive, and it's you know a little James Bondy where it's like, okay, there's this action thing, and there's this dude, and he's kind of wrapped up in himself, and he's trying to survive, and we hope that he does, but. I don't know. I feel like they've, they, there's got to be... It's the Marvel Universe. There's got to be some kind of tragedy that happens. and just, r- Rather than just the loss of his career? Yeah. just I mean, some broken fingers and the loss of his career 
stuff happens. I mean, get over it. Find, <laughs> you know? <laughs> get over it. Get over it. Get a job. Yeah. Get over it, strange. <laughs> Start teaching college or something. They'll That's pay, right. I'm sure they'll pay you six figures yeah. at Columbia University. That's right. He could teach theory. He could teach how he was able to do these things, right? Yeah, no, that's it's reasonable. He could do that stuff. But his ego doesn't let him, and so it needs to be something where he's overconfident, and Christine, who's the only character that we're going to give a shit about that's going to come back for the next episode or the mm-hmm. next next thing, she's got to pay the price in some respect. She doesn't have to die, or maybe she could almost die, or you know, whatever, but something needs to happen with her. Not only that, but she has to exit because we need Clea. Oh, yeah. That's right. Is is Christine yeah. Palmer a character that's not in the books? Not, not yeah, not I don't, I don't think her. so. I didn't do my I didn't do any research on that. Yeah, this. then she's toast, I would guess. <laughs> but you know, I do appreciate that Ra- Rachel McAdams even though she may be trying to fight uh, Regina from the Mean Girls. <laughs> I do appreciate her 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 skill mm-hmm. because she did really make me care about her. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when when Strange first has his accident and he's trying his best to get it all fixed and he's going to these different doctors and he, he's spending all his money and she comes to, to see him again to try to help him just with his emotions and offer him stuff and he's a total dick to her. <laughs> yes. You know, she was able to show me what that character felt. I was so mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Like her face was a map. Right of anger and pain and resignation and you know am I going to leave this uh, am I going to leave this son of a bitch right now or am I going to stay you know what no I'm done this is too much for me I could see it all in her face she didn't have to say all the words mm-hmm. it was so good yeah she's also she's very good like she's the uh, another one of those where she can do really mainstream things and then really serious things as well and be good and, in both. And she provided the much-needed giggles when she was trying to help Strange after he gets his powers and he's in his astral form. And she's now – she's moved from this high drama uh, love interest to kind of the commit, comedic relief where she's squealing and she's kind of – um, reacting to all the incredible things that she's seeing, and she's scared by the the mop falling. Oh right! All that, all <laughs> right. that worked too. I cracked yeah. up every time when she did her little high pitched squeal. Yes, yeah, she that, that well. is very good when she's when she's trying to operate on him, and they keep messing around with her equipment and that sort of thing. Yeah, because the two because that astral battle that you're talking about was happening all around her mm-hmm. while she was trying to save his life, and things were happening, and she's just like. Okay, all right. I'll try. Whatever. What's going on? I, I appreciated it. Yeah, that's, I think that I think the thing that why I feel like I'm coming off harsh on this film is I feel like it could have been even better. Is I feel like that they just have some real small things that they could have either adjusted or or uh, had be played just a little bit differently, and it could have ended up being a better film overall for me. I, I have yeah. to. I, I agree with that because I, I know that um, it's never, ever, just always, it doesn't hit every beat mm-hmm. every time. There's only a few Marvel cinematic movies that have done that. 
like two I can think of. That'd be um, the Winter Soldier and um, I want to say Civil War, but probably Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Those two really hit like almost every beat, and they're they're really good in storytelling and, and everything, all that drama, everything. Yeah, you're but, right. Uh, but this. Um, yeah, it, it had room for improvement. It definitely did. But like I'm, you know, I'm a Marvel fanboy. I'm going to be entertained, and it entertains me, and so I'm okay. All right, so let's move on to our second film. Speaking of being a Marvel fanboy, yeah, with all of the little uh, nuggets that are in this film. Uh, our second film, it is from this year, from 2017, and it is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we we're both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Well, that's intense. I see it within you. Fear. Jealousy, betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. You know, they told me you people were conceited douchebags, but that isn't true at all. Dude, uh, I'm using my wrong eye. Throat, put your seatbelt on. be able to jack up our prices for two-time galaxy savers. Searching for your whole life. It's right there by your side all along. You're right. All you do is yell at each other. You're not friends. No, we're family. Except maybe her. After all these years, I've found you. And who the hell are you? I'm your dad, Peter. And the IMDb plot synopsis, which was not written by Marvel this time, goes like this. Uh After saving Xandar from Ronan's wrath, the Guardians are now recognized as heroes. Now the team must help their leader, Star-Lord, uncover the truth behind his true heritage. Along the way, old foes turn to allies and betrayal is blooming. And the Guardians find that they are up to a, up against a devastating new menace who is out to rule the galaxy. So that wasn't too bad of a... Not, not so much. Yeah, so... They, they could have used something different than Blooming, unless they... <laughs> unless yeah. they... On purpose meant a certain story element. In I, I think that that's probably what they're trying to do. It's a little bit of a reach for me, but... 
that's that's the former English teacher in me coming out. I think. Bless their hearts. They're trying to be a alliterative, you know, trying to use some alliteration with the betrayal is blooming. So, mm. Trying. All right. So this is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. The first one of these was kind of the movie that set Marvel up as really something to be reckoned with. I feel like because when it first came out or was coming out, there were uh, I remember reading and hearing a lot of people saying. Well, if Guardians is a hit, then look out because this is a a franchise where nobody's going to know anybody. It's not Iron Man. It's not the Hulk. It's not Captain America. And so if you can take a bunch of people that nobody has any clue who they are and make a hit out of it, then Marvel's going to be able to do whatever the hell they want. Hmm. And so this was the obviously the sequel. Um, They relied heavily upon the same sort of things that got them – the success of the first film with the eighties classic rock, uh, soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of very, um, very in your face lighting, very bright and bold colors. Yeah. Uh, we had the same character dynamics with the, uh, the very literal Dave Batista as Drax, uh, with everything being, you know, very literal with him having a really big comedic role in this, in this version, mm-hmm. uh, we have some of the, uh, the favorites are back with rocket being, you know, abrasive and, and, uh, a little, uh, towing the line a bit on the PG 13 on the things that he says. And we got uh, baby Groot now, which was everyone's cutest little thing. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we had just kind of much of the same with a, a few differences. You know, we have, uh, Yondu being a main character this time around, uh, Michael Rooker's character. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, the introduction of Mantis and we have the introduction of the character that calls himself Ego, which was played by Kurt Russell. Yes. And I have a very big question once we get to that. So tell me about your experience. It was glorious again this year when you saw it or am I mistaken? You're not mistaken that it was glorious. Um, but what you're saying about the the repeating of the same some of the same dynamics mm-hmm. that did feel like it was p- taking up too much time or at least it was not novel enough like maybe i maybe the the first guardians movie was impressed on me so heavily that when it was replaying in the second movie it didn't sparkle as much okay like it felt I mean, too familiar yeah and just not not novel anymore mm-hmm. like for instance the just just chris pratt's performance okay yes i was i was already used to okay so i really like chris chris pratt i didn't see him on the whatever cw show he was on um <laughs> do you mean you don't mean parks and rec no it wasn't parks and rec it was oh, before okay. that because i saw him in parks and rec and i did not like him the first season when he's playing an actual jerk uh, but after that, he was like the best part about it. Uh, uh, I felt so are, like. are you, is it Gilmore Girls? No, it was Everwood. Everwood. That's what oh, I'm talking about. Oh, I remember Everwood because that had, that had the girl who's, who turned out to be Sharon Carter. He, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In it. So he was in Everwood and then he was also in the OC. Um, so he was in these hey. things a while ago. I didn't know this. Yeah. And so then I was first introduced to him in 2011 with Parks and Rec. Um, and then 
uh, oh, 2009, I guess it is. 2011 was something different. And then he kind of blew up and was in Guardians of the Galaxy and then was in Jurassic World. And now he's like a headline guy with, mm. uh, you know, with passengers, which didn't do so well. But then he's in another, uh, Jurassic World film, I guess. And it's been announced that he's going to take on the, the comic property Cowboy Ninja Viking. Oh, really? Uh, that image series, yeah. Dang. Now, see, that's one thing that I'm not crazy about in Hollywood. Like, when you get one action star, does he have to do every different, <laughs> every other action star property? Does yeah. that one guy have to? Do? You don't have enough actors out there. Yeah, the, there's you can't get a, enough people to work. <laughs> right? Like, it's not. Don't get me wrong, Chris Evans, because I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he is. But, bruh, you know, did you have to be five superheroes? Mm-hmm. Like, there couldn't be four other actors that could have done some of that stuff? Well, Go Chris on. Evans had to be in The Losers, and he's ha- he had to be in the first Fantastic Four modern film, mm-hmm. and, you know. Push, push. Oh, and Push, that's right. Superhero and Push. And. I forgot about that. Push. There's another, I can't remember right now. But he's Captain America now. Yeah, he is Captain America now. Um, okay, so I guess with me, I really liked the first film. I had a good time, like I said. With this one, I kind of expected the exact same thing, and I kind of got the exact same thing. And when I broke in and, and interrupted you when you were talking about Chris Pratt, is I felt like the main issue is I didn't think he was very good in this. I, I thought he was so charming in the first movie of being the kind of nobody that no one respects him, but he's actually pretty competent. And here, I just, I don't know if it was the, what he was asked to do, but I didn't, I thought he was kind of just very mediocre and I didn't mm. really enjoy him that much. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chris Pratt. Um, I know you're listening. I did, I did think the movie overall was fun. I did think that I was correct after listening to much of um, Rocket's dialogue that I was glad that I didn't have Anna watch this one. Oh. <laughs> um, because he's like, you are such a douchebag. And it's like, blah, 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 asshole this. And um, mm. something about either shooting or punching someone in the dick or something like that. Or it was just that sort of humor and i was like hmm i was like maybe at nine that's a bit much for this little girl uh i was like maybe i'll have her watch it in a couple of years parents take note (laughs) yeah and i mean and to be fair it is right it is rated pg-13 so you know it is rated the proper rating i would say okay um so what did you think of of drax this time around because it was it was a big surprise uh in the first film, because I always knew him as the humongous green guy mm. that was just like, you know, sort of like a Space Hulk looking guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you know, it redesigned him for that Annihilation series, which is too long ago for me to want to admit <laughs> how long ago that was now. Um, and and so, you know, they get more of the Dave Batista kind of look. But, you know, with his comedic... Uh, points in the first film were such a surprise because they were playing him as a guy that didn't understand when you're um, using figurative language. 
Mm-hmm. And so this time around, they kind of they didn't really do that. He just laughed a lot. I felt like like, like all he was doing was laughing. Like it, it, they kind of went away from him not understanding, and he just laughed all the time. Well, there, that laughing was based on his taking literal things, though. He yeah, was still true. hearing yeah, that's true. hearing people say literal stuff, and then just laughing at the literal interpretation of the things that he heard. Mm-hmm. And there was, <laughs> there was, there was literal, there was honestly, my favorite part was with him <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and with Star-Lord, which I don't remember them calling him Star-Lord in this movie. No, I don't Do think you remember they, them I calling him Star-Lord I one time? I don't think they did. No, I don't think so. If it they was did, always Peter. If they did, I think it was his dad calling him it. I don't know. I might have to take a third watch. He might have said uh, the legendary Star-Lord, like when he was saying why he was there and that kind of stuff. Maybe that, yeah. Peter and Gamora and Ego. Mm-hmm. And when Ego is explaining what he's been doing around the galaxy, meeting people and turning into a human, um, turning into a living form, and Drax asks him, do you oh, remember right. what he asked? Yes, absolutely, yes. Now that was really funny. Wasn't it? That made now, me laugh. And it was delivered deadpan. So he wasn't laughing all loud about that, but he was diving into the literal what happens when you turn yourself into a, a living being and you're this energy thing. You turn yourself into a living being. Well, surely you must have made yourself a penis. Right. And it, cause he backs <laughs> that up by Kurt. <laughs> because Kurt Russell, who's Kurt Russell is fantastic. I don't give a shit what people think. I think Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Russell. Is I wish Kurt Russell was about twenty years younger and could be could have fun in this sort of time, being one of these action heroes, right? Uh, don't put us out the pasture yet, Sonny. <laughs> he just, can still be an action hero. Well, I feel like he's about five years away from playing Uncle Ben in the inevitable, you know, another <laughs> reboot of Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, if if Marissa gotcha. Tomei is going to play Aunt May, I mean, geez, oh, Louise. No. I know. Um, so anyway, so I, I really like Kurt Russell and it, it's the, uh, it's the look that he gives when, when Drax says, you know, did you make yourself a penis? And, and, uh, Kurt Russell goes, yeah, not a, not a half bad one or either or something <laughs> yes, like that. And Batista's exactly. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that whole but- bit really got me. It really was because because Peter turns around says, "Dude," Kamara <laughs> says, "What is wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way she delivered it was just different. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect her to do that. <laughs> it seems like it was a lot more Zoe Zaldana came through in that scene than Gamora. Yeah, and but it was hilarious. That's another one where I. I kind of wish that Zoe Saldana and even though Nebula and Gamora are a fairly substantial part of the film, I wish they had a little bit more nuance to them. Ah, because they're being, how do you mean sisters or? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I know that the internet loves Karen Gillan and I, you know why? Well, because she's like a self-professed nerd, right? Well, I don't know about that. Maybe she is. Well, she was, I mean, she was on Doctor Who and she was in both Guardians films. You better put some respect <laughs> in that voice when you say Doctor Who. And not just I say, do. well, she was in Doctor Who. <laughs> 
I can't just say the well she was in, right? Like, no, you cannot. You put some respect <laughs> on it. How dare you? Yeah. So I've never seen Doctor Who ever. So that isn't that's like the yeah. Like I appreciate that that's a thing that a lot of people enjoy, but I've just never seen it. Um, but I know that she's very well loved along in the internets, right? I, that's, I do. That's the that's the vehicle that's gotten her so beloved. Okay. And here she just. She's playing this, you know, on purpose, literal alien who is just this sort of rage only kind of thing. Except when? Until the very, very end, right? And not just, but there was some, there was some of that bonding that she's trying to do with Gamora. And she's explaining that Thanos was raising her with Gamora, but pitting them two together mm-hmm. and she was the recipient every time that she lost of a new body part and it was torturous. Oh, right. Every time Gamora would leave or whatever. Lo- well, every time that Gamora would win. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. I thought it was like every time, yeah, every was, time she ran away, but it, it was every time they would fight or they would go against each other in some way yeah. and she'd lose. Okay. Yes. Every time she lost, um, Thanos would upgrade Nebula to try to make her more worthy of fighting Gamora. So they would she he would just replace body parts and he would just do all sorts of skullduggery on her to make her better to fight Gamora the next time, but she'd keep losing. She never won against Gamora. So there was that rivalry there. But when she explained that, there was pain. Did you not hear well, it? I guess I didn't hear it because I, I would have rather you didn't have, hear the pain. I, I didn't. I would have rather have had her had a larger breakdown then. Because I feel like she's Here's what she looks like to me. When she was delivering almost every single line, she looked like she was drawn by Rob Liefeld. To where shots it, fired. <laughs> to where it's just like teeth out and screaming everything. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. that's the way that he draws, which is fine. I, you know, I used to be a huge Rob Liefeld guy, and I'll still occasionally check out stuff just because I'm curious. Um, but that's just the way that she came off. So I'm, I'm imagining that's exactly what she was directed to do. And that wasn't just a choice that she made, but it just kind of didn't tonally seem to be right to me. I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't quite dig on that as much, I guess. I hear you. So not, you know, not, (laughs) I I, I hear what you're saying, but you're completely wrong. (laughs) I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. Your experience is different than mine. That that is true. What about, uh, let's keep going with the characters. Gamora, I thought that it was nice to have her, um, have a little bit of a, the continue with the whole love stuff. Um, and then have her. And Nebula have the the whole sequences, like I said. But even though she was in the movie a lot, I didn't feel like it was a lot about her. Like if uh-huh. I if I go through the scenes, I'm like, oh, she's there, she's there, she's there. But overall, like my overall impression was not that she was a uh, real like front of mind for me when I think about this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like she was in it a lot, but I don't know if that if I had much takeaway from it. Yeah, they they. Utilized her for the action mm-hmm. gal, mm-hmm. Uh, the badass, the, str- the strong one. They gave her scenes where um, she's rescuing Drax from being dragged behind a crashing starship. So there she is, just one arm holding her into the ship and the other arm holding Drax. 
and this thing is crashing down into the atmosphere, and, oh, she's, right. able to, and she's able to just sustain until it crashes. She's strong. She's super duper strong. Mm-hmm. So that that was cool. She could pick up um, the 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 star the the I guess the little starships, little spaceships, entire oh, planet. Yes, and just walk around with it. Sure, and shoot with that. So they, they maybe that's what they were trying to give us more of her mm-hmm. badassery. And they maybe used Nebula for the touchy feely between her and Gamora. Okay. Which was, which is odd because like you're saying, Nebula did a lot of teeth gnashing and a lot of shouting. But I, I saw her kind of pare it down to feelings. They were muted, of course, because, you know, Nebula is supposed to be as badass as Gamora. But she, I did see the, the veil part ever, when she spoke of the pain she endured and what she wanted all along when she was growing up with Gamora. She wanted she said, "She said you always wanted to win. I just wanted a sister. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't comes... that touch you? Didn't that touch you inside? <laughs> Apparently not. I don't know. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like I liked the film. I thought it was good. But some of those bits, I like. I think that was the the like the movie nerd in me coming out to where I'm like, okay, I see exactly what you're trying to make me do, but I'm I'm not going to do it." <laughs> That's right. not the movie nerd. That's the Eric in you. That's the, well, that's the same sort of thing. It's you like, don't like to be emotionally manipulated. That's right. You're not gonna. It's like I see what you're doing, and you're not. I'm not gonna let you do it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you're right. They they did try to get us with that. And um, hi, I I must be the anti Eric because they <laughs> they get me every time. Every time they're they're asking, you're like, I'm giving it. Like I'm giving the emotional response that you're wanting, movie. I literally decided not to let them do this to me because I knew I was going to be speaking to you about this. <laughs> and I said to myself, this is going to be a scene where Eric is watching this and saying to no one in particular, you're not getting me with this. And so if they're not going to get him, they're not going to get me. And I'm sitting and I'm watching and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. No! <laughs> uh, it's like I'm I'm the Grinch. I swear. <laughs> I got this little stone in my chest, you know. <laughs> so we talked in the the first film about in Doctor Strange about the kind of curious casting for some of the people, right? Mm. Tell me your thoughts about Sylvester Stallone. Oh, dude, I literally, literally wrote down horribly miscast. What? What yes, is he doing in this? He's a <laughs> – the character that he's playing – okay, I've got problems with that. Okay, yes. With that. The character he's playing is supposed to be Starhawk. Right, the male Starhawk, right? The, the male Starhawk. And in the in the comics, the male Starhawk is this, is this esoteric kind of spacey – um, distant being that is always in tights <laughs> <laughs> for some other strange reason. And he's this space entity that has all this mystery behind him. Sylvester Stallone is playing a union boss. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, who is this person? Who cares? Why? What are they doing with this character? I, so it, it, it failed on, on mostly every level for me. Yeah, that, that was that was that whole little storyline was strange. Like, I get that. Is it just because that so they would be wanted by multiple groups? Because we have the Aisha character, all the gold, the gold people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're chasing after him, which, okay, I'm fine with that. And then we mm-hmm. have when he gets to Ego, which we'll talk about that whole stuff. And then I'm like, okay, well, is it because they need a third group for this scene that they need someone else to be after them? And that's why we have this whole, like, well, you're not following in line with what the union says, and so you're going to be hunted by us now. But well, then, no. Well, because I guess we have the whole mutiny and all that stuff in there, too. Jesus, there's yeah. a lot that goes on in this movie. There is, but no, the, so the Starhawk character was not for an, another, um, uh, another faction of enemies. The Starhawk character and that alliance and that group of people, I think, was for twofold. One was for the fans who remember the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to give us the representation of, of those original characters. Which I'm saying they failed miserably by casting <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in it. Mm-hmm. And the second one was to give Yondu a backstory that would break our hearts. Okay. When his when his story arc concluded. Now I will because, say go ahead. Oh sorry, go ahead. No, because he was exiled from Sylvester Stallone's bunch. And they they after they um just highlighted the fact that Yondu was exiled from them, they were gone. Out of the movie. They, mm-hmm. they didn't chase anybody around or, or cause any threats or anything like that. They were just out. The people that were the, uh, the antagonists on the ship that Yondu was running, those were people that was already running with Yondu. Oh, okay. Okay. I got yeah, you those now. Are, those are people that he went to after he got exiled. I got you now. And built okay. his little crew up. Well, that makes even less sense to me then. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I understand the I understand the reference in and I get, you know, in the whole post credit sequence where we have all of the like the majority of the people are the original guardians and they're all there together. Yeah, except uh, I have a problem with that too. Well, because it's Ving Rhames and it says that it's one of them was the voice of Miley Cyrus and I was like, "What the hell? Like I must not have picked that out." I and, totally didn't. Well, and then I was really pleased with myself that I wasn't able to identify Miley Cyrus's voice <laughs> on command. I was like, oh, good. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I don't know that. <laughs> but they, they, the original Guardians of the Galaxy was, uh, it wasn't Starhawk is, is the boss, actually. It was Vance Astro was the boss. So he was missing completely. Mm-hmm. Which there's reasons because Vance Astro is actually supposed to be from 21st century or 20th century and he got shunted up forward and whatever blah blah blah. So that's all another whole story. They're not going to complicate things with that for just a cameo. But um, Ving Rhames was Charlie 27. Mm-hmm. The Crystal Lee guy that was walking with Sylvester Stallone was Martin X. Martin X. Mm-hmm. So he's in it. That's two of the originals. Starhawk was one of the... Um, was one of the peripheral characters in the original Guardians of the Galaxy, so that's three. And they had Nikki, who was this, I guess she was um, from Mercury because her hair was always on fire. She was missing, but they had Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh was in there, huh? Playing a character named Alita, 
Alita is the female half of Starhawk. Mm-hmm. And that was not evident at all between Sylvester Stallone's character and Michelle Yeoh's character. One. And two, Michelle Yeoh was dressed like Nikki. Yeah, I was going to say, were you trying to tell me that Stallone and Michelle Yeoh don't resemble each other? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. That Plus, they're, they're supposed to be wearing blue tights. Yeah. So they already failed me. Oh, man. Cy- cyan blue, like Fantastic Four blue. Mm-hmm. If that's gone, then don't come to me. Well, that seems like a miss. That seems like a miss. So Michelle Yale's hair wasn't on fire, so I guess she wasn't actually supposed to be Nikki. But she was wearing green, and Nikki wore green, and colors matter. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially in the Marvel – well, Marvel or DC, any sort of comic book property. If you're going to translate it, you might not do spandex, but you got to have something that represents that color, especially if it's a character that the audience isn't going to immediately just go, oh, that's Spider-Man. You're right. right. Yes, because Charlie Charlie Twenty Seven was wearing his miner's uniform before he got upgraded, so he was wearing the right kind of thing. Martin X looked like he was supposed to look, and Yondu got upgraded to that big red fin on his head instead of that stubby thing, right. like the comic books. And Yondu was one of the original members. So you know, you go that far, take me all the way, man. Don't mm-hmm. just. Dangle a carrot and then don't deliver. I will say that the the and this is well, I mean all of this is spoilers, but I will say that the Yondu final sequence that that did get me. Dusty baby, right? So now that was one that, that actually I want to cut that out and put that in whenever we're talking about things that make us emotional. I'll just have Alan <laughs> as a as a drop so I can just punch that in for Dusty baby in there. Um, <laughs> But when, but when he finally does say the, the whole, he may be your father, but he's not your dad, that kind of stuff. Hell right? yeah. That, that hits awfully close to home for people who know me personally. Go uh, ahead, boy. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. Um, you go ahead, Yondu. Right? <laughs> yes. Even though yes. he's like icicle in space now. Or was, you know, at the time. Yeah. Oh, that was brutal, dude. Oh, that was hard to watch. That's when, that's when all the floodgates just opened up. That's when I, that's when I was starting to resist. Mm-hmm. Like the other, the other stuff I let myself go because they didn't take me too far. But when that was coming up and I, and he's flying, he's saving Peter and he's flying up in space and he gives Peter the suit and meaning that he's not going to have the suit. And I knew what was coming. I was like, <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then he delivers that line, and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. And I was gone. I was gone for the rest of the entire conclusion of the movie. Mm-hmm. From that point on, I was just like, give me the fucking tissues. Give me this goddamn Kleenex. Because, <laughs> of course, then we have the whole, you know, then we have the, the celebration of Yondu, basically, with all of the, the ships and their throwing out their uh, little sparklers or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Or they're that's dedicating. When, that's when they were paying off all the bonding scenes throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. Right. Like th- throughout all this movie, they kept bringing characters together to have mon- to have dialogues about some, some deeper thing. And you had Rocket and Yondu having a, having a uh, meeting of the minds about why they're both so hateful and aggressive and such douchebags mm-hmm. and, and how they're trying to push people away from them. And then Rocket gets his, gets his epiphany that th- 
that Yandu in his life could not push away all um, the people and that he will not push away all the people either, no matter how hateful he acts. Mm-hmm. And that was good. And then and then um, Gamora, in hearing Peter give Yandu his send off, Gamora realized that, you know, take advantage of what you have now. Right. So she goes to meet with um, her sister who's leaving the ship because, you know, mission solved. We saved the galaxy. I'm out. I'm going to kill Thanos. Right. Goodbye. And she's like, wait, I want you to know I love you. You're always going to be my sister. Mm-hmm. Hug. So Gamora got it after all. When it was Nebula through the whole movie trying to reach her, Gamora got it. Uh, they were paying off all these emotional beats. Oh, and Drax. And Drax and Mantis, yes. Calling Mantis ugly for the whole film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally said, you're beautiful. Man, that, that hurt me. That I mean, it didn't hurt me, but it, it, it was another one of those squeeze the emotions because it was so sweet. Well, because he calls her beautiful and then he says, on the inside. On the inside, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was just sweet that he was motivated to say anything to her. Right. Right, because because he was in it was he was swept up in the fact that come on let's do what's necessary and real let's not just keep hiding behind all these walls of of pretense and guarding ourselves from being vulnerable why are we pretending like we feel certain ways when actually we feel just let the fuck let let it go just say it you've mm-hmm. got one chance in life why are you going to live your life day after day in just pretending that you don't feel what you really feel just say it right and then and, the, said it. and then this is like we said this is after after peter loses a father and gains a dad right yes so let's talk about the father that he lost then ego let's talk about kurt russell as ego kurt russell with some crazy cgi at the beginning of the movie or something that made him look like he looked in the 80s Yes, that was. And, uh, I was. Except, I was kind of shocked. He still had his the the width of jaw. Yeah, that's right. Yes, when he was younger, he had a thinner face, mm-hmm. and I know because I was there. <laughs> I used to watch those. I used to watch the Wonderful World of Disney on NBC, uh-huh. where he was in those early Disney movies. Well, see, my mother loved herself some overboard. <laughs> I, I might be older than your mother then because I remember <laughs> when he was in the Disney movies. And so, well, that was something that we watched together. And so that was like mid 80s, mm-hmm. you know, and and so that was a movie that I, I remember him being in. And of course, he was in that was when he was at the height of his popularity, I would say, when he was doing a lot of stuff. And so. And the. You know, that was after the whole Snake Plissken stuff. But holler if you hear me <laughs> out there in radio listening land, Kurt Russell in the early Disney movies. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a reference point for that one. Get it. <clears throat> okay, so he's playing this character, Ego, who he says is a celestial, right? Yes. And so of course my, my Marvel bells are ringing. Said no. And I'm like, hmm. He's not a big, huge uh, robot. Yeah, I was like, huh, okay. okay. Uh, well, that's not that's not right. And then, <laughs> and then we have the shot after he's talking about making the world, right? Mm-hmm. And the world has a face on it. Yes. And I'm like, okay, so this is like, this is the living planet. 
Ego the right? Living Planet. This is Ego the Living Planet. So this is going to be a revelation that he's actually just this planet and he's mm-hmm. not this dude. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, well, they don't – I mean, they sort of do that, right? Sort of. Well, and then he talks about – at one point, he's saying – and it struck me as odd because there's in one sequence, and this is the big question that I had for you. Bring it. There's one section where he says this – he says this word like probably four or five times within a paragraph. But he's talking to Peter, and he keeps saying how, Peter, you don't understand. We're beyond everyone. We're beyond this. We're beyond that. Listen at you. Right? And so I'm like, oh, okay. So he's the beyonder then? (laughs) And your question for me is, is he? Yeah, is he? Is that who he's supposed to be? I honestly don't know now that you put that up. Because I was like, well, that's that would fit. I mean, he's got kind of the hair. He's, (laughs) He's this guy who's claiming to be something that maybe he is, maybe he isn't with the whole celestial thing. Right. Well, did he did he ever wear a white jumpsuit, a Michael yeah, Jackson I, I jumpsuit? Did, I kept waiting for one, and I was like, <laughs> "Come on!" I was like, "At least when he, you know, becomes just sort of the planet and and, and uh, Groot's in there trying to blow his brain up." I was like, "Give me something to where it looks like he's wearing a white jumpsuit or something." Uh... You know, but so that's what I took it as. I took it as no, he just took over ego, the actual ego, and he's the Beyonder. Is what I took it as. You know, we might have to just let you have it since they didn't, they haven't blown it apart. I haven't seen, it's just, it's, it's possible. It's possible that's who he was because it's definitely, he's definitely not just ego, mm-hmm. the, the living planet. That's a fact. Because mm-hmm. ego, the living planet has never made himself a little humanoid thing to go around anywhere. Yeah, to go he's to all these different still, worlds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's not about that. But it seems like if he were the beyonder, he's, his powers are severely limited. You would think so, yeah. Because he's in a human form, but he, in order to propagate himself, he has to mate with creatures? Yeah, and then that would be the thing where it's, it's difficult because if you say that you're going into the, uh, you're going into the room where you're gonna break apart this movie and you're gonna write it all out and you're gonna go with the character and you're gonna say, oh, it's the Beyonder, but we're gonna limit him. Because we can't have him do all this shit because our next big movie is going to be with Thanos Mm. and he's got all the rings and he can do all the same shit. Mm. So we can't have the Beyonder get beat by these guys and then say, oh, no, no, Thanos could do the same stuff, but he's tougher. He needs this, the entire Marvel Universe to take him down. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's like I kind of feel like it is and I kind of feel like it's not. There's no... I, I don't know if I'm really settled on either one. And that might be the either the downfall or the beauty of yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they get they get to make their version of characters. Yeah. So it it's it is who they say he is. Right. So that so we have to take the celestials as big robots off the table because it's now established that celestials are people like ego. We have to factor in that ego has a personality more than just <laughs> that's, a, right. that's the sound I always – that's just the sound I equate with ego. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a planet-sized face. What else would it do but yeah. go 
That was the thing where I always, whenever there was a space book and, and Ego would show up and I'm like, what, what actually would it do? <laughs> it would just like fly into you. <laughs> like, a, all right. <laughs> you know? There, there was a, there was a pretty good, um, our story arc where Ego, the living planet decided to dip into the, to the solar system in the Fantastic Four book when John Byrne was writing and drawing it. Oh, okay. Yes. I remember this. Yeah. And the, the precursor of it didn't even, didn't even, wasn't even about ego. It was about this, um, I don't know if he was a mutant or, or how he got his powers, but this common guy who just changed all of reality, uh, unknown to himself. So he's, he's, he's in his little hometown and he was hoping that he would one day get to see the Fantastic Four and suddenly he's in New York and he's seeing the Fantastic Four. And then when he's seeing them, he was just hoping that when he saw them, they would be doing something of import and that something of import was, well, all of New York is about to crumble and is falling apart. Why? Because ego is coming into the, the solar system and his, and the, the, the presence of a body like egos is devastating planet Earth. Mm. So, and then this guy who's got all these powers, who doesn't even know he has these powers, just makes everything right at the conclusion of his story. But now that Ego is in the solar system, the Fantastic Four goes to Ego, goes inside Ego, goes down into the depths of Ego, and I, I don't forget what they did then. I, they didn't. I don't think they blew his brain up, but uh, fixed they, it somehow. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think they fixed it either. I think they sent them into the sun or something. Oh, well, that's depressing. It is. Big Ego's face was like, <laughs> Into the sun. I would have imagined, you know, granted I would never want Planet Hulk to go away as a story. Mm. But why don't they just send him to Ego? If they wanted to get rid of the Hulk so bad. Like, because that's a planet that could kind of do whatever it wanted to. So to could, him? Well, I mean, it could just, like, be a peaceful area that he could just hang out. Oh, but you're, you're, you're considering Ego to, to cooperate. Well, of course. Ego's not cooperating with us? <laughs> well, you, Please. <laughs> Would you cooperate with the microbes on your skin? Well, I guess. Ego ain't got no time for that. He doesn't have time to do. I mean, he's he's got nothing to do other than <laughs> avoid Galactus, your, right? In your mind, he that's, has nothing to do. But you're true. not a planet; you don't know. <laughs> he's busy. You he's got know. planetary things. Planetary things going on. Well, then, but it, in this movie, he's got he he wants to make himself. He wants to make himself the universe, so he plants himself on all these different planets. It's nasty. Mm-hmm. Those little the blue little eggs on everybody's planet that that he needs Peter's power uh, he needs another power to draw on in order to make these things bloom and blossom mm-hmm. that's where maybe the the, the, the um oh the reviewer the, yeah. the reviewer tried to plant the blossom part in there so, so I, can, I can give him that. so what was the blue stuff doing on the planet I guess it was going to take over the planet, just kind of override the planet and maybe transform it into okay. uh, another ego. Okay, so it's just going to like terraform it or something. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because hmm. he, because in explaining the expansion, the name of his plan was the expansion. Uh, he was showing the the that kind of 3D pictorial of all the planets being kind of overgrown by that blue stuff. 
Yeah, and, right. And then it became him, I guess, or like hmm. little cells of him, satellites of him. I wonder how that would be. Like, what if he, he actually got that accomplished and then you'd have two planets that were both just saying the same things back to each other? More than two. It would have been a million. Well, right. And then it's like, then what do you do? You just. Exactly. <laughs> I totally, I promise you, I thought of the same exact thing. Like, okay, so you get the entire universe. So there's millions of you all of, now what? Mm-hmm. Now what? Now the entire universe is filled with you. It's just Boring. you. Boring. <laughs> yeah, really. Boring. That's a bad plan, Kurt Russell. Bad plan. Hmm. That's why they had to put an end to him. That's true. Um, so this was a thing where, much like the first one, I appreciated the chaos of all of these uh, galactic battle sequences. But at the same time, it made me yearn for watching an episode of Star Trek. Just so <laughs> I could just see like one ship fighting one other ship. And that's it. Because there's just so much going on to where I know I'm getting like about 10% of what's actually happening. It's true. There was a lot going on at the same time. Or at least, not the, well, it was at the same time in the time frame, not on the screen, but yeah, it was jumping from segment of fighting to segment of fighting to segment of fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. So I, it's weird because I feel like I'm being harsh on both of these. I think both of these, I don't know. I don't know if Marvel is, if they're necessarily misfiring. I think that I don't think that that's a. I don't. I don't know if that's the right word. I think that's a little harsh. But I feel I like I won't hear it. I feel like that they have opportunities to do better than what they're doing. I'll say it that way. That they could they could do even better with these films that they've produced. No doubt that they could do better. <clears throat> but I will kick back against a rising tide of things that I've been noticing in my feed. Not a lot of, but more than I'd like to see, of people asking, is the superhero genre over? Uh-huh. Has it burnt itself out? And to those people, I would like to say, no, it hasn't. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> if, if you don't like it. Go back to your other stuff. Yeah, really. We didn't ask you to come flooding our theaters to see our superheroes to begin with. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing so, making it popular and, and making it normal. But if you don't like it now, you can go away. We've been reading these things for 40, 50 years. We're not stopping. We get to see them on the on the screen. We love it. We're going to keep loving it. If you're tired of it, bye-bye. Thanks for visiting. We appreciate all your dollars. If you're done, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. And, you know, this is a film that, uh, speaking of dollars, to where I know that it did well, but I wasn't really prepared to see this number that I'm seeing. So the budget was uh, was estimated at $200 million, which is just, <laughs> which is just the, the amount of money that I can't even wrap my brain around. <laughs> oh, and gosh. the gross as of August uh, 25th, which is uh, around a month ago, the gross is $389 million. Hmm. Right? So I realize that the budget doesn't always go, you know, $200 million isn't always $200 million because you got to factor in the promotion and all that stuff, and that's not always in there. And, and mm-hmm. it's, and, uh, but still, it made its money and it did, you know, it's almost $400 million. It did fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't Good. struggling. Good. Know? Ha ha ha! Yeah, it's just like people that, you know, 
uh, we're going to talk soon about uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Okay. And about how people claim to not want those, but they're still making a whole lot of money, so somebody's wanting to see them. Okay, and so... I haven't seen a single frame of any of them, so I'm going to uh, see what that's like. So that's I'll be listening. <laughs> that's that's coming up with one of the uh, one of the bigger Disney people on the world that I know. So we'll see how that goes. And we'll be watching those with uh, with the little one, and I think those will be appropriate for her. I'm guessing. Those trailers are scary as everything. Yeah, the trailers are scary. They scare me. <laughs> <laughs> You can handle the the space piratey stuff, but not the not the real pirate stuff. Is that not right? the real undead half eaten <laughs> half eaten corpse stuff? Okay, there we go. There's where you draw the line. I guess we know where the line is. One and two, the half dead sharks that come flying out of the water to go bite and eat people. No, okay, I'm not watching that. There you go. See, these are things that I didn't even know. I knew. Uh, I've seen some of a trailer. And I think I may, I, I think I may be fibbing. I think I've seen part of the first one. But I, I know that I haven't seen all of it. So. Anyway. I hope, I hope you're not one like me. I hate, I hate to watch trailers of, I hate to even know any details about trailers of movies that I'm going to watch. Yeah, like we talked last time about the whole Black Panther situation, right? Yeah, I haven't seen, all I've seen is the Entertainment Tonight spread of the cast in yes. costume. Right. But I'm not watching the, I'm not gonna watch the trailer. And that's supposed to be next year, is that right? Yeah. Okay. 2018. February of 2018, if I recall. Ooh, that release date is not promising. That's all right. <laughs> it doesn't matter to Alan, boy. Hell <laughs> no, I'll be up in there. I don't care if it's a snowstorm. <laughs> I will be in the seat. I'll be the only one in there, and that'll be fine with me, because people get on my nerves and move. Don't let me get started. But... Yeah, I'm going to go see it. I don't care when it comes out. So one of the things that you will not be seeing and one of the things that uh, my regular co-host will not be seeing is a film that my wife and I are going to possibly see here in the next couple of days, and that is It. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> nope, 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 and nope, nope, nope. Rachel has a very well-publicized phobia against clowns, and mm. so I'll I'll post her an occasional... Uh, Facebook or Instagram post and tagger where it just has pictures of clowns on it. Hater. And it'll I'll usually get a fuck you and then I'll delete it or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, Evil. but with it getting such uh, positive reviews, I think I am going to make the trip out and see it. Uh, see it in the theater. Take the little one. <laughs> Speaking of this, okay, let's let me tell you <laughs> let me, story time real quick and then we'll wrap up the show. Okay. So. When the original It came out, when the miniseries came out, I remember we got this on VHS, and I watched this with a group of my friends over at one of my friends' birthday sleepover. And we're probably like 9 to 10-ish. What? Okay. You know? And so we're watching this, and it's scaring us, and Pennywise is scary and all this kind of thing. And we watch it, and we stay up, and we watch it all, and it's probably like midnight and it, you know, it probably really was like nine o'clock, but in my memory, it's like, it's like midnight, right? And so it's midnight and we turn it over or we turn it off and we're all like, you know, 
oh, you were scared. No, you were scared, you know, doing that kind of boy <laughs> stuff. And we hear some knocking on the door. Oh, shit. Okay. And so we go to the door, and the door has got one of those crescent moon windows. At See, the top. that's where you made the mistake right there. You go to the door. <laughs> so we go to the door, and the mother of the person that we were at had painted her face. What? And had got a clown top. <laughs> Because they knew that we were watching this movie and we were going to watch this, right? So she shoots her head up into that that crescent moon thing and, you know, opens the door and comes in and we lose our minds, right? And we're screaming and one of my, one of my best friends at the time, he was just like spinning around in a circle and screaming because he just didn't understand how to like what to do. And so we go running, and the back door, they had a sliding door. It's like living room, kitchen, sliding door, backyard, right? Wait, oh, oh, okay, slide back. Yeah, like a sliding back door. And so it's It's all glass, glass, yeah. Oh, shit. And so we go running back there, and the dad had the whole getup on, like the full clown shit on. Oh, And so he comes running through, and then they're both, you know, doing like – and it's probably – 10 seconds in reality of them scaring us. But it's like the scariest thing I can imagine is, is seeing this, this it, this Pennywise with the poofy hair and then turning around and running and then seeing another one and it doing the same thing. And I just screamed my head off. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, you could never do that now. Boy, the authorities would be on them kid, on them adults. (laughs) You would get, yeah, you would get your child taken away from you. Snatched up out of there. I don't know. In the Midwest, y'all live a different kind of life. Y'all might get away with that out there. I don't know. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, you know, we have children of the corn for, to scare us here. We don't have like actual, you know, we don't actually have like, uh, any murders or kidnappings or any actual real thing to be scared of. We have to make up. We have to make up shit, or we have uh, we have second rate Stephen King movies and and books to be scared of. Out there, y'all are the horror. You're the terror. <laughs> that's right. We the kids to... are the terror. That's right. And your pet cemeteries out there. Oh yeah, the pet cemetery. That one, and that's another one about Rachel, because mm-hmm. where the the sister that's got the crooked ass back, <laughs> right? That they have that she has to take care of, and Denise Crosby and her yar self is having to take care of her when she's little and she does the Rachel and all that stuff. And Rachel Zelag like lost oh. her mind during that. And well, just, you're, you know. you're giving me detail about a movie that I didn't watch. Oh, you didn't see pet cemetery. Hell no. I didn't see no pet. Oh, Cem- it's got, on. it's got Fred Munster in it though. I know. <laughs> and <laughs> right. And it's got, Denise Crosby thought she was riding a golden train oh, out she, of Star Trek. She sure did, boy. And that movie Sorry. didn't do that well. And then she was nowhere. And then she's like, hey, I'll come back and uh, guest star if you want. Once or twice. They're like, I guess. The good thing she was, <laughs> the good thing she's a Crosby. Yeah, really. Sorry, Ma. Yeah. And so that was, uh, yeah, cause that, that pet cemetery, I've seen that a lot. <laughs> Not one time. Yeah, I've seen that a lot, boy. That is, that's a scary movie, even though it's pretty dated with the effects and whatnot now. 
So, okay. Well, that was a quite a tangent. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. If you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you could email me. I'm at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You could follow the show over at Twitter. The handle's at plainlabelpod. You could uh, also follow us over on Facebook and on Instagram. Just look for Plain Label Podcast and you'll find us over there. If you wanted to help us out, you could head over to movienoise.com and you're going to find our episodes posted there. If you click on Click on the full description. You're going to find links to our Amazon wish list or our Amazon shopping link or our Audible link, where, again, you can get Marvel the untold story for free just by signing up. Connected. Yeah, so we're all over the place. Uh, I do want to thank Alan once again for coming on and helping me get caught up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least for a couple of months before uh, you know, heading out and seeing Thor. Which I Better. plan on doing. I've I've seen the first two in the theater, so the second one I was not uh, happy about seeing. Maybe you like Ragnarok. Yeah, maybe I will. The second one looked like it. The villain looked like he was from uh, Power Rangers to me. <laughs> Look at the big poofy arms. And he was Christopher Eccleston, which is a crime. Yeah, really. That's Talk another. It's about- another favorite of yours. Yes. Well, he was the Doctor. <laughs> of course, he was. When they came back, buddy. Of course he was. So uh, say that people wanted to uh, get a hold of you. Where where could they find you? You could go to Twitter, and it, I'm at New Mutant. Or you could go to www.thepowerprinciple. Principle as in like the power, like the pleasure principle. <laughs> not like a principle, like a principal. Right. Not Not like a person who runs a school. <laughs> Although I'm tempted to make that uh, a major villain. Oh, that would be great. I can give you a lot of uh, back s- some history if you want some. <laughs> .co, not .com, but .co. Mm-hmm. And it's not that unusual. They have .co UK all the time. They have .co all the over the place because my uh, the golf course I used to run is a .co. Yes. So the power principle .co. And check out uh, 12 free issues there. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy that. Or you can get a trade of them like I have. That'd be good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, well thank you for listening and Rachel and I are going to finally be back next week after uh, quite a few weeks off with our uh, our new theme. It is Reluctant Heroes and we're going to have a discussion on the films North by Northwest and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm in. 